shockingly relevant, James Cameron's Titanic is still part of the top 10 movies in the country, despite having been out 214 days. One of the most epic duets of all time, The Boy is Mine, The Boy is Mine, The Boy is Mine, The Boy is Mine, by Brandy and Monica, is the number one song on the planet. And Patricia has just been told she's moving across the country mere days before her freshman year of high school is supposed to start. Today, we're going back to July 20th, 1998. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Wayback Recap, a podcast that obsessively explores all things past. From our favorites in TV and film. To Atmosphere, the VHS-based horror board game released in 1991. Via the VHS, players are told how to play via the gatekeeper. I had this game. Tell me how much you loved it. I very rarely, if ever, played it. I just had it. Um, no one wanted to play with me. I didn't, and I didn't have friends who would play. I was gonna say it was a, it was a, it's a niche game. Like, you, and you do have to sit down to play. Like, there's a, you have to have a tape player. There are requirements. Did I bring up atmosphere to you recently? Because I was looking at this not too long ago. Well, I don't think so. So I never had atmosphere. See previous episodes where my family's full of cowards, but. I did get invited to a sleepover for these, like, well, let's call it fifth or sixth grade, probably fifth grade. There were beautiful twins in our class named Bianca and Raquel. Shout out if you're listening, Bianca and Raquel, you are beautiful. One of the twin was in my class and the other twin was in the other class. We had Bianca. She invited me to their like birthday party sleepover. Big deal for me because they're like the popular girls. Get there. It's all the other popular girls. I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm ready for goofy movie conversations, right? Like that's what Trisha thinks sleepovers are about. No, Raquel, the twin I don't know as well, immediately drops atmosphere on the table. And she's like, is everybody ready to play this? And I was like, whoa, (laughs) whoa, I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm ready for this, Raquel. Just kidding. I said yes, because I was desperate for her to like me. And then I was scared and wouldn't even look at the game master because I was scared of him. Well, yeah, absolutely. You should be. There was another game that was something like that too, where it was like a horror-based game with a VHS. I can't remember. I feel like it was. A I whole looked it genre. up. Yeah, there was a whole Reddit thread about it that I actually fell into, and but Atmosphere was the game that I specifically played, so that's the one I picked. But there were a couple different ones. Very interesting. A genre I didn't know we needed. Maybe we still need it. Do people? I'm going to get a VHS player. Wasn't there like when we were in college? Wasn't there a drinking game that you played like to a tape? cassette or to like a a specific song or something am i making that up brandon looks at me like i'm making that up are you talking about me specifically or like the universal like like yeah i'm i'm speaking of like the royal we like all of us i think there's like there's minute shot like their songs i forget what it is it's like (laughs) it doesn't matter but that's what i that's what i thought of when i thought of this yeah i haven't taken a i haven't drank in a long time or been in college either almost two decades that was mean to say. <laughs> I felt pointed, but all right. Yeah. I do remember like there would be like playlists that were like songs were a minute long or something like that. And you're supposed to take the shot. I don't know. Maybe There's that's something it. like that. Maybe that's it. Jock jams. Power hour. Is that what it is? Power hour. Maybe that's it. That sounds like a thing. Local alcoholics and college students who listen to this podcast. Let us know. Because I can't remember what it is. My Me brain either. has been like same destroyed by several substances at this point yeah yeah i'm brandon 
And I'm Patricia. Uh, hi, listeners. Thank you so much for being here. Sorry there was a little bit of a break. Uh, She's not sorry. I, she... I really am sorry, you guys. Don't listen to him. He wants you to think the worst of me. <laughs> Don't listen to him. It's such a funny thing to say about your podcast host. Co-host, excuse me. So mean to me. I, like millions of people, deal with migraines. And over summertime, it's the worst time for me to get migraines. And I just have like two of the worst migraines I've had in a super long time. So we didn't get to it. But I know y'all don't care because y'all love us and you're just here for fun. But I thank you for being here. Yeah, we have tons of episodes. Probably not tons. Tens of episodes uh, in our backlog. So if you want to listen to some, go ahead and listen to those. I recommend the fear episode, the first one. (laughs) I'm partial to Double Dare. And I think our DuckTales episode is pretty good. I'm (laughs) I hype up DuckTales a lot for some reason. No, it's okay. We should do the DuckTales movie. I'm sure we talked about it. We definitely talked about it in the episode. I thought about doing it with, because they just, for some unholy reason, they've just released another Indiana Jones movie. And I wanted to be like, my favorite Indiana Jones movie is DuckTales, Tales of the Lost Lamp. Because DuckTales is like Indiana Jones, but better because there's ducks. This makes me think Indiana Jones. Sorry, side story, everyone. Uh, Patricia and I, it's not like we did not just get off the phone with each other an hour ago to just just catch up on our day. Um, just yucking it up. Just yucks. I was camping recently with my um, in-laws and my uh, w- one of my nephews was there and we were going to watch a movie one night and I was we were looking on all the apps because we were like in an Airbnb and we found Indiana Jones. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen an Indiana Jones movie, which <laughs> oh, I later man. found out. No, I later found out it's false because I do remember in one of the Indiana Joneses, a woman falling into the earth. Yeah. I think it's the third one. I just remember her wearing a black glove and her falling into like an earthquake because she tried to grab a grail. Anyways, this could all be a fever dream. If you've also seen these movies, folks, let us know because I don't remember. But anyways, uh, we were like going to watch a movie and we chose the first Indiana Jones movie. And my nephew on that side of the family is like 11. And he was telling me, because he loves the Indiana Jones series. Like he watches it with his dad. Okay. He was telling me everything that was going to happen before it happened. Excellent. Yeah. (laughs) But I was also like, yo, bro, (laughs) I need to watch this. But also I'm like, fair point. This has been out for like 40 years. So I should know what's going on. Pretty long time. And I feel like Indiana Jones is so part of like the pop culture universe that i have also if i have seen one whole indiana jones movie it's temple of doom because i remember the monkey and i remember the lady and i remember the bug room um but like i'm not an indiana jones person either my mother like chevy chase did not celebrate harrison ford so we did not really watch a lot of harrison ford movies like no indiana jones shit I can't, I mean, Working Girl was the one Indian, was the one Harrison Ford movie that we were allowed to watch at my house because there were two strong female leads. And mom's like, that's okay. We'll watch that one. I appreciate feminist Sue of the 90s. Yeah, she had feelings. Continues to have feelings. Yeah, I don't know how we got on that tangent. Uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> DuckTales. Oh, our backlog. So fun fact, this is episode 69. So we have at least 69 episodes at this point. So go check them out. If you're ever missing Sweet. us. Today, we go back to the life-giving fountain that is e-entertainment television, this time discussing mysteries and scandals, infotainment discussing various celebrity pop culture cases, cases ranging from Lana Turner and her boyfriend murdering daughter, 
to the still unsolved Black Dahlia murders. Hosted by gossip columnist AJ Benza, who credits himself with the show's catchphrase. Ain't, ain't it a bitch? Also the name of AJ's memoirs. Is it really? <laughs> yes. Nice. Sidebar, let's rewind it a little bit. Lana yeah, Turner's daughter killed her boyfriend? Oh yeah, dude. Like the boyfriend was beating on Lana Turner. Kid came in with a fucking shotgun or something. Tap, tap. Not, not in this house. You're not going to be hitting on my mom. Wow. Yeah. That's, wow. Yeah. I mean, don't take, don't do a book report on that story I just told. If you want more information <laughs> on Lana Turner, please pursue outside research materials. <laughs> Google will be a great first source. <laughs> great first source. Hey, you could go watch the Lana Turner episode of Mysteries and Scandals. They're yeah. all on YouTube. So if you're really interested, <laughs> I encourage you to look it up. So the host is AJ Benza, who is pretty ice cold. Like AJ is coming in with a lot of judgmental, a lot of pointed statements about people. And it's not great, in my opinion. I don't think AJ Benza is a great host. Take offense <laughs> to that, because I think he's literally the best host of anything ever. No. Wow, hard line, hard line to take, especially when we consider in 2004, after the sun had set on his time with E! Entertainment Television, AJ Benza was, was back at his gossip column, which he used to help divert attention away from his friend, Harry we Harvey Weinstein's affair with fashion designer Georgina Chapman. In 2017, AJ alleges that Harvey turned to him again for help, but this time AJ turned him down. Ew. Ew. Super ew. You're an ew. I'm saying ew oh. to that. Also... I mean, there's so much weird in that whole paragraph you just read me. Yeah. AJ Benza has a gossip column. Yeah, that's his That's his claim to fame. Okay. He's a gossip columnist. Far be it for me to say this. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Is AJ Benza a homo? Because why do you have a gossip <laughs> column? Girl, what? Man, it's a stain on the community if that's true. I mean... As a gay, like, I'm just like, why would you? And I'm not trying to promote, like, gender role stereotypes and yeah, shit like that. Yeah, me either. Anybody can what care about fuck? gossip. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a business it's, of your own, AJ Benza. Anybody who makes a living, like, poaching off another person like that, I don't love it. Um, but AJ was really excited to talk about how he was, like, in 2017, he's like, well, you know, in 2004, Harvey paid me, like, $35,000 a week to not talk about him in my gossip column. And so then in 2017, whoa, Harvey whoa, whoa, whoa. offered, yeah. 3,500 or 35,000? 35,000. But then it's like, and, and he said, AJ Benza says in 2017 that Harvey offered him even more money, like millions of dollars. And AJ was like, oh, I would, I, my integrity wouldn't let me take it. I'm like, okay, AJ, like nice try. <laughs> Yeah, pat yourself on the back for that. I okay, so here's the thing. That is not money well spent because I didn't even know AJ Benza had gossip columns. So So I think a lot of them are in actual newspapers. And I haven't read an actual newspaper since like a USA Today at the Hilton Indianapolis when I was traveling for church stuff in 2007. <laughs> so like if it's in an actual newspaper, <laughs> I'm not gonna catch that column at all. So maybe that's the case. Like you have to get an actual newspaper don't know no matter what do something else aj 
like, do you like sports? Maybe you could write about something else. Like, do you like food? Maybe you could do a food blog. I don't know, AJ. Work on yourself, yeah, buddy. I don't know. I hate gossip columns. I just don't like it. I don't like it at all. I tried to dig into the backstory or like lore of mysteries and scandals, but could hardly find a paragraph about like its production or how it came to be. I can tell you that it was a moderate hit for E, for E Entertainment Television, who through the late 90s and early 2000s was making an effort to fill the network with original programming versus like re-airing syndicated shows. Wow. For me, E Entertainment is where I would watch AvFab reruns in 1995. So I appreciated the effort for exposing to me to art, but they kind of, that was how E made their living for a long time until like the 2000s where they decided to do more of their own shows. I remember watching Search Party on E. Do you remember that? Yeah, definitely. I consumed a ton of, it's probably why I'm such a gross person. I consumed a ton of E Entertainment TV. Like, Mysteries and Scandals, E! True Hollywood Story, Girls Next Door, Anna Nicole. Like, Anna, Anna. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Go watch our Anna Nicole episode. Speaking of Anna Nicole, I think during that episode of ours, I gave credit to that show's producer, Jeffrey Shore. I think I said that he was the person behind Mysteries and Scandals. That's incorrect. Uh, while Mysteries and Scandals definitely rode the coattails of E! True Hollywood Story, they were unaffiliated, which I think does help explain, like, E! True Hollywood Story has 480 episodes versus Mysteries and Scandals, who only has 150 episodes. Jesus, that's a lot of episodes either way. 480 E! True Hollywood Stories, that is a lot of stories, damn. Well... E! True Hollywood Story at least tried to have some integrity in the narrative they presented. Mysteries and Scandals made no such effort. Possibly because most of the topics they explored were like people were long dead. So the show and AJ Benza are really brutal with their judgments and completely without sympathies for the people involved. And I make the argument that they are straight up presenting like false information sometimes. Like especially about really old stories like fatty arbuckle or uh little rascals there's they take a lot of liberties on this show and i'm surprised they weren't like taken to court (laughs) well it's because everybody was dead um (laughs) yeah literally i think i remember the little rascals episode i used to watch mysteries and scandals like i really vividly remember aj benza um i've watched several episodes like rewatching this one was such a like (laughs) Yeah. I completely forgot this show existed. And Me I was too. like, wow. 100%. People, people love this shit back in the day. Well, it was only like 30 minutes long. And I feel like you could, like, I have vivid memories of coming home from school and like watching Mysteries and Scandals. And then right after that, they would re-air old Saturday Night Lives. And I would watch those too. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like they did do that. This aggressive narrative is best displayed in the episode we're going to talk about today. Season one, episode 20, all about Judy Garland. (laughs) Now, I had originally been planning a three-part Kenneth Burns-style documentary about the life and times of Judy Garland. (laughs) Brandon was like, maybe that's too much. (laughs) Yeah. We all love Judy, Patricia. If you all are happy for that, thank Brandon. But if you're sad to miss out on my day-by-day break of the production of 1948's The Pirate, starring Gene Kelly and Judy Garland, 
you can address your complaints to Brandon. It was when I was researching this fake Judy episode that I came across the Mysteries and Scandals episode of Judy. And I went to Brandon, I was like, oh my God, Brandon, you have to watch this. He's like, we should talk about that. And I was like, ah, you're so smart. That is why I wear the co-executive producer hat. Not all ideas are great ideas. Sometimes you need to talk about, sometimes you need to think things through. It's okay. It's teamwork. Uh, during my fascination with mysteries and scandals, my go-to after-school snack was popcorn and black cherry Kool-Aid. So go get some and let's watch some TV. I am going to offer a trigger warning as we move forward. Judy lived a difficult, complicated life. There will be mentions of sexual assault, self-harm, suicide, child abuse, drug and alcohol abuse. So buckle in. Uh, Mysteries and Scandals offers no such warnings on their episodes, just so you know. So be careful. Yeah. If you're going to explore that back catalog, kind of take a minute. Because they're going to go <laughs> right for it. As I think this show was way too critical and harsh. In order to be my best petty self. As we break this episode of Mysteries and Scandals out, I'm going to pop in with corrections and counterpoints. In order to do that, and to celebrate Pride Month, I read what seems to be the, the definitive Judy Garland autobiography, Get Happy by Gerald Clark. Judy died before she was able to complete her memoirs, but Clark includes almost 60 pages of Judy's own words, which I found really enlightening. Otherwise, I would not recommend this book. G Gerald Clark seems to hate Judy Garland. <laughs> I don't know if he would Bro. write a book about someone he likes so little. <laughs> like he's that it's that same like really critical, super judgmental language. And I don't understand why it's so mean. Everybody's so mean when we're talking about Judy. It's shocking. Yeah, dude. I was wondering that too. I was just like, what the fuck? Chill no, out. No, Judy, Judy is flawed. And I am gonna point those flows, those flaws out. So will mysteries and scandals, but they don't have any compassion or take into any consideration her situation. And I think that's not right to do. As the episode starts, we get a few clips of Judy, one where she seems older and drunk, then another during her defining role as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Then AJ voices how Judy died at 47 of a drug overdose in her London apartment. What happened to the happy girl? How did she fall so far? Again, already immediately blaming Judy for all the problems. <laughs> we cut away from Judy to three white dudes, each talking about how much they tried to help Judy, about how sick Judy was. Then AJ tells us that we're about to learn about the great American tragedy that was Judy Garland before we get the shitty opening credits. We learn that on June 10th, 1922, Judy was born to parents Frank and Ethel Gum. Marcella Radwin, the wife of Judy's longtime doctor, is heavily featured, <laughs> is heavily featured on Mysteries and Scandals. She was also featured in Gerald Clark's book. And here she helps us learn about the gums. Marcella tells us that Judy's dad, Frank, was obviously bisexual. So let's talk about Frank and Ethel. <laughs> yeah. The, the gums met while Frank was traveling the vaudeville circuit. He would sing, tell jokes, and the audiences really responded to him. Ethel's family owned a theater in Minnesota. And while she desperately wanted to be on the stage, 
she was difficult to look at and without any talent outside playing the piano. The pair got married and had two girls. Mary Jane called Suzanne and Virginia called Jimmy. I don't know why we don't name the kids just the name that you're going to name them. Uh, weird, weird. I don't know what's up with that. The second those girls were old enough, Ethel had them on stage singing and dancing. Things were going really well for the gums when Ethel found out she was pregnant again. Desperate to not have another child, Ethel did everything she could to abort the baby. She threw herself downstairs. She tried to bribe doctors, everything she could think of. But Judy held on and was born happy and healthy, named after both her parents, Francis Ethel Gum. But Judy was called Babe until she was signed at MGM. So, Jesus. okay. Ethel sucks. You're going to learn that as we, as we go forward. At two and a half years old, Ethel put Babe on stage. The little girl with a giant voice sang Jingle Bells for 12 straight minutes. The crowd going crazy, applauding and totally cheering her on. Little Judy had to be literally dragged off the stage. She was having such a good, like the audience was responding to her so strongly. At two and a half years old. Okay, so. wild. There's nothing else going on back then. Like entertainment was much different. I don't know <laughs> if I'm true. Really clap, clapping for 12 That's minutes. True. Like, I think it's cute when two-year-olds get up. Maybe she's really good at two. Hey, remember when those two British girls sang Super Bass on the Ellen show? And everybody <laughs> loved them? <laughs> it still oh. happens. You're my number one girl. <laughs> those girls are like 25 years old now. Probably. That's a dated reference. <laughs> one of the, yeah, that little girl um, had like a song. So Judy learned right away that the sound of the applause, the love that audiences gave her, that's what mattered to Judy. It mattered more than family. It mattered more than lovers. It mattered more than children. When Judy was four, the Gum family hightailed it out of Grand Rapids when it was exposed that her dad, Frank, had been assaulting the high school basketball captain in the back row of the theater. Jesus. This, ha this happened four times. Frank was like run out of town for having sexual relationships with teenage boys. Not good, Frank. Yeah, that's fucked up. The family landed in Lancaster, California, a few hours north of LA, where after years of hard work, Ethel got Judy a contract at MGM just weeks after Frank had died. Judy was singing on the radio when Frank died alone in his hospital room. The death of her father would leave a real mark on Judy's heart. And even worse, there was now no one to stop Ethel. All this time, like Frank was a pushover. Ethel was a dominating personality. But Frank had been like insisting that the girls go to school, that they have friends, that they do other things. But Ethel was, had no such interest. To Ethel, the girl's job was to dance and sing. When Judy finally signed to MGM, the Gums thought they'd made it, but the studio had no idea what to do with Judy. At 12 years old, MGM president Louis B. Mayer referred to Judy as... My little hunchback. Louis B. Mayer's I hate also, just for the record. Eventually, Judy teamed up with fellow child actor Mickey Rooney 
and together they made several successful mediocre movies i like to think of them as like the fast and the furious movies of the 1930s like they're not good people like them and they have a good time and they made 12 of these things damn 16 judy got the job of her lifetime as dorothy in the wizard of oz Mysteries and Scandals and lots of other people like to indulge the narrative that Judy was the second choice to play Dorothy, that the role had been meant for Shirley Temple. But that's super not true. Number one, Shirley Temple worked at Fox. This is an MGM movie. Second of all, Wizard of Oz is a musical. Shirley Temple can't sing for shit. They've got Judy Garland, and the only thing Judy Carolyn can do is sing. So obviously, Judy Garland's going to be in The Wizard of Oz. How old was Shirley Temple at the time? I think this is 1939. I would range to guess that Shirley Temple was probably like eight, nine, ten, like getting a little older, but still way younger than Judy. Mysteries and Scandals alleges that it was during the filming of The Wizard of Oz that Judy began her lifelong relationship with narcotics. So for a show called Mysteries and Scandals, they really do like shy away from the scandals part. Because to report that MGM gave 16-year-old Judy Garland quote-unquote diet pills is straight up not true. In recollections told by Judy, Judy's sisters, Judy's like the family neighbors, and the gum family physician, back in Lancaster when Judy was eight or nine, she was performing across the state working to provide for her family of five. Judy's mother, Ethel, started giving Judy amphetamines probably when she was nine years old. Jesus, Ethel. Yeah. And like all the time, guys, to give her a little pet. Like it's how like, it's, I think, I don't, I can't confirm this, but I feel like she woke Judy up to go to a gig and would give her amphetamines. Speed. That's fucked up to do to a kid. First of all, when you make your eight-year-old the family breadwinner, when you, when you tell your eight-year-old that they have to work to support their entire family, and then you give them drugs in order to p- get them to perform, that kid is already fucked. Like, there is no, like, you can't do that. So to make matters worse, by the time she's 13, MGM is trying to desperately solve what they're calling the Judy problem. The Judy problem is that she's ugly and fat. No one Jesus. thinks Judy's pretty. This is, I'm not even kidding. This is what the, these are the words that they're using. She's too fat because she has breasts is the biggest problem. And she's not pretty in the face. They're they're comparing her to women like Lana Turner, like Joe Crawford, adults. So because Judy looks like a child, she is deemed unattractive. So they do things to her face. Like there's speculations about a nose job. There's speculations about chin work. Then they tell her she's fat. So Ethel steps and she's like, oh, you can give her amphetamines and it will help her lose the weight. I do this all the time. And so MJ's <laughs> like, great, problem solved. So now at 13, after four years of amphetamine abuse, now work is giving them to Judy. So her drug consumption is only going up. Mysteries and Scandals is right that it was while shooting The Wizard of Oz that things got worse because the amphetamines were one thing, but now Judy can't sleep. So the studio steps in, and what do they give this 16-year-old girl? They give her second all to help her sleep. Longtime listeners probably recognize second all 
as the exact same medication that Anna Nicole Smith overdosed on. I also think it's what killed Marilyn Monroe. Yikes. So not good. Not good, guys. And this is a 16-year-old kid. So your frontal lobes don't finish fully developing until you're like 18. So at 18, Judy has almost been a drug addict for 10 years. So any, lots of people like to speculate about Judy's mental illness. There's no way we can comment on mental illness because she's been a drug addict since she was a child. Yeah, Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just, we can't, she's a drug addict. She's been a drug addict her entire life. What is she supposed to do? When speaking about shooting the Wizard of Oz, Judy herself tells a story about Mr. Mayor touring the set with reporters and money men. Mr. Mayor wrapped one arm around my shoulder and with the other hand grabbed my left breast telling the man, oh, she sings straight for the heart. And I thought, glad I don't sing from another part of my anatomy. That's fucked up, man. She, he grabbed her tit. He, yeah. Jocelyn Fox, wonked, wonked her as a child. In front, like, to show people. Like, in front of people, like, showing awe. That's despicable to me. Yeah. Old Hollywood and probably Hollywood now is just fucking gross. Yeah. So gross. God. So since that's an awful story, here are some fun facts about The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz didn't make any money until 1960 when it started airing on TV. Prior to 1960, Judy's big hit from 1939 was Babes in Arms with Mickey Rooney's, the, the studio's biggest hit of the year. Are you a Wizard of Oz kid, Brandon? Yeah, we watched it all the time. I feel like it came on either on like some holiday like Easter or something like that or Christmas. Maybe it was when it used to come on TV all the time. We'd watch it. Mm-hmm. My nephew used to watch it so much like my oldest nephew that he could recite the movie word for word wow uh, yeah uh his favorite part was the cowardly lion but anyways oh that's so sweet yeah the noive he loved that part <laughs> so i think one of those dichotomies people are like oh you're either a wizard of oz kid or you're a sound of music kid and in my house we are sound of music kids so I think we definitely watched The Wizard of Oz, but it didn't like, it didn't have a cultural moment in my home. That's the opposite for me with Sound of Music. Like Sound of Music was not like something we watched often at all. My family was always ready to watch somebody fight the Nazis. And if you're going to do nice. that with a song, we're into it. <laughs> we're like, oh, you're going to sing to stop the Nazis? Yes. Julie Andrews? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We have a type. The defining song of Judy Garland's life, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, was almost cut from the movie. Some people thought it slowed the picture down, and the mature voice that came out of Judy didn't sound like it belonged to a little girl. But those people were all overruled. And at the end of the 20th century, America voted Somewhere Over the Rainbow as the song of the 20th century. That's so wild that somebody wanted to cut that shit. God, what bad they were like cut it we don't like it it slows things down get the fuck out of here a lot of so the problem with production not problem there were millions of problems um one of them was that some people didn't want there to be any black and white in the movie at all so the time where you're basically so the whole time you're in kansas people didn't want that because they thought it would turn people away from the movie they just wanted it to be in color so all the stuff that was in black and white including somewhere over the rainbow was really criticized by some people, but they were all stupid or wrong. Yeah. 
I'm a choir kid. So I watched 700 million big voiced people try to sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow at auditions. So the song mostly makes me cringe, but I'm glad it exists. Yeah. To take a moment to talk about Judy's remarkable singing voice. Judy had a three octave contra alto singing voice. Other contra altos of note, beside myself, are Lady Gaga, Anita Baker, Sade, Adele, Tony Braxton, Tracy Chapman, all my favorite singers. But if I'm gonna compare Judy Garland to a modern singer, I'd compare her to Whitney Houston. To quote Whitney, I'm a singer. I like to listen to other singers. Judy and Whitney were singers, period. They opened their mouth and the song came out, an unstoppable force. Uh, they were both super stubborn. They both had complicated familial relationships, both dealt with drugs. The similarities go on and on. Mysteries and Scandals pussyfooted again and skipped over Judy Garland's first marriage entirely. At 19, Judy married musician David Rose. And they had only been married for a little while before Judy discovered that she was pregnant. She oh. immediately told her momager, Ethel. But Judy, David, Ethel, and Judy's best friend, Beth, who was a company spy, she like spied on Judy and reported all of her actions to Louis V. Mayer. Ew, hell, uh, Beth, uh, you shithead. <laughs> truly. Uh, they all went to Arizona and Judy got an abortion. Judy and Ethel had always had a bad relationship. I'm sure you're shocked. Ethel is a heartless monster and Judy's a drug addict. So that relationship is bound to be tense. Judy was resentful that Ethel made Judy work while her father was dying. But it was this decision, the idea to terminate the baby that Judy wanted, that this relationship totally died. Mysteries and Scandals doesn't bring up Ethel again, but I'll tell you that eventually Judy iced Ethel out totally. Ethel died penniless on the line at a plastics factory. And when Judy got the news that Ethel was dead, Judy bought the whole nightclub drinks. Damn. I mean, show me why she's wrong. You can't. Ethel's a monster. Like, how? Oh, my gosh. Like, at one point, Ethel tried to get Liza into stuff, and Judy flipped out. She was like, do not go anywhere near my children, and totally disowned Ethel. And Ethel, like, had a shitty one-bedroom apartment, and she died working at a factory. Better than you deserved, Ethel. Yeah, truly and honestly, I had no idea that Judy's home life was this tumultuous. I mean, yeah. I kind of had an idea. Late in her life, uh, Judy was asked if she had, oh, what are those things called? Like a show, like a, a frustrating mother with an actor daughter. What's that called? A stage mom? Asked if she had a bad, bad stage mom. And Judy was like, I had the worst stage mom. Like, no. Judy didn't hold anything back when she was, like, after Ethel died, Judy told everyone what a shithead Ethel was. Good. She deserves that. That's, like, better than she deserves. In 1943, Judy made Beat Me in St. Louis, directed by Vincent Minnelli. Judy felt up to that point that she had never been beautiful in a movie. But Vincent made her feel beautiful for the first time in her whole life, really. Eventually, Judy got a divorce from David and married Vincent Vanelli in 1945. The relationship with Vincent was trying. Uh, back to the doctor's wife, Marcella. Vincent was an out and pronounced gay. 
Marcella has been holding things in and she's letting it out during Mysteries and Scandals. Marcella is the funniest thing about this episode of Mystery Scandals because she really is just telling everybody's business without a second thought. She's outing I'm, people. She's like outing yeah, people girl. left and right, like making yeah, jokes girl. about like abuse, like being really flippant about things. Glad to see that the doctor patient privilege does not expend does not go to the doctor's life. She's free to talk about whatever the fuck she wants, I guess. <laughs> Truly and honestly, though, she's like, shit, I didn't say it, though. Uh, she's and like, also, oh, that was just my friend Judy. <laughs> she told me that. So I'm telling her you. Her husband's gay. Gay. <laughs> He's gay. Go watch Drop Day Gorgeous. Celebrate the 4th of July. Now, I'm not calling Marcella a liar, but Vincent and Judy had a baby together. Superstar and EGOT winner, Liza Minnelli. And Vincent had relationships with other women up until he died. So that doesn't mean he wasn't gay, but he did have relationships with women. This reading, Get Happy by Gerald Clark, it really made me interested in Liza Minnelli. Like, I think I'm gonna, my next book is gonna be about Liza Minnelli because I have so many questions because her childhood seems fucking wild. Judy and Vincent were holding things together, but Judy was not doing great. Mysteries and Scandals wants us to think that by 1948's The Pirate, Judy's mental state was fractured due to her drug and alcohol abuse, which isn't wrong, but it's oversimplifying things. As I said earlier, a person who's been a drug addict at this point for 20 years, you cannot make any statements about their mental health because they're addicted to drugs. So we can't say that her mental health was fractured on the set of The Pirate. Something Mysteries and Scandals does well is setting the scene as to how Judy got her drugs. She borrowed, begged, and stole drugs. She would be invited to glamorous dinner parties at like Humphrey Bogart's house, at Lucille Ball's house, and Judy would empty their medicine cabinet into her purse. Damn. Imagine if you invited a friend, let's meet just any friend, just a friend over, and like they took all your ibuprofen. To laugh, drug drug dependency is not funny, but damn it, Judy, like you couldn't have left me my heartburn medicine. Do you know what's going to happen if I have a tomato after 8 p.m.? My tums. No, dude, that's wild. I didn't know she was like that. I mean, from addict to addict, man, I didn't know she was that. She was on that level. Yeah, it was pretty desperate. The pirate had a 110 day shooting schedule, and Judy missed 90 of those days calling out sick, or just played not showing up, deciding to go get drunk at the racetrack instead. When she did make it to set, she was unreliable. She wasn't feeling well, or sometimes she'd have like full-blown hallucinations. Whoa. The movie was a bomb. This is the first time in Judy Garland's entire career that her movie didn't make money. Then her next movie, Annie Get Your Gun, she was fired off like off the picture. She wasn't doing well. She wasn't showing up. And that termination led to her getting fired from MGM, period. They bought her out of her contract and sent her on her way. And she Damn. had been with the company for like 20 years. Wow, Judy was going through it. MGM sucks. See, see our Betty and Joan episode to talk about how much MGM sucks. But I'm just going to oh, say yeah. this. Like Judy kept the lights on at MGM 
during the 30s, especially during the 30s. Like those movies with Mickey Rooney are sometimes the only movies that made any money. So the fact that they bailed on her so fast is fucked up. I mean, she was a difficult person. She was also causing problems, but they just bailed. They were like, bye, Judy. Clean out your trailer. I believe it. I believe the studios didn't give a fuck about Judy more than they could throw her. Like, how much money is this bringing it in? Yeah, I mean, she had become a new, she had become a nuisance. Like, it was more difficult to have Judy there than to not have her there. So so there's like, fuck it. They let Judy go. So this led to a very dark time for Judy. Uh, She tried to kill herself again. Probably attempt number nine out of well over 30 suicide attempts. Jesus. She went and stayed in the hospital to get her strength back up. And by the time she was back in LA, she had a new husband. Sid left. But the studio still didn't want anything to do with her. So Judy and Sid sent Judy home, basically. They put her on the stage. Judy went on a worldwide tour in 1951, and it was a gigantic success. When you got Judy on stage, she was at 150%. But you had to get her to the stage. Like, unfortunately, Judy missed just as many shows as she made it to. Because she was drunk or high or sleeping or mad or sad. So while this was successful, and it was definitely the most successful place for Judy, she still, these problems were all the time. These problems never went away. Even when she was like having a quote unquote good period, she was always doing drugs. Sid Luft made a career trying to keep Judy off the drugs and on the stage. And he was moderately successful. So successful that he got Judy back in movies. This time starring in the Warner Brothers remake of The Star is Born in 1954. I could do a whole episode on The Star is Born. <laughs> and she will. Keep it concise. It's phrased on HBO Max right now if you want to go check it out. The movie was directed by George Cooker. And he turned in a phenomenal movie that was over three hours long. Notorious fuckhead shithead Jack Warner, who was in charge of Warner Brothers Studios at the time, cut the movie to two hours right before he released it. The cut drastically hurt the movie. And the movie that was supposed to turn Judy's career around was another flop. However, Judy's performance was so good Everyone thought she would win the 1955 Best Actress Oscar, but she didn't. Instead, Pretty Girl Gets Ugly, Grace Kelly won for Country Girl. Be Kind Rewind, which is a fantastic YouTube channel. She has a whole episode about the 1955 Best Actress Oscar race featuring Judy and Grace Kelly. It's like 15 minutes long. It's fantastic. Go watch it. I highly recommend it. I'll I'll link it in the show notes. On Oscar night, Judy was in the hospital having her son, Joey. This failure was grand for a few reasons. Her professional comeback was over. To make matters worse, Judy and Sid had been producers of the movie. So they came out more broke than when they started. This financial blow was one that Judy would never recover from. I'll never recover from this. Mysteries and Scandals jumps from 1955 to 1965. And I get why they did that. Judy's star had fallen. She had tried her hands at TV a few times, and there were high spots like Judy singing with Barbara Streisand. Fantastic. Everyone loved it. But 
TV is a huge problem because Judy can't show up to work. So if you don't show up for TV, the TV doesn't happen. It's not like a movie where things can be pushed back. So immediately after one special or one season, all of Judy's TV shows got canceled. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a shit show. So Judy did what she did best. She went back to nightclubs, back touring nightclubs. She did Vegas. She went on tour. People really liked it. And these tours were always successful. You know, she was born to be a vaudeville star. So that's what she did. Uh, she recorded some successful albums, the most successful definitely being Judy at Carnegie Hall in 1961. Uh, it's at this time that Mysteries and Scandals sp spends a fair bit of time talking about Judy's financial troubles. Uh, she owned bad taxes. She had agents that were stealing from her. It's all bad. During this period, there were several more suicide attempts because Sid wasn't around anymore. So since Sid's gone, the duty... The Judy, Judy's care is now falling to her daughter, Liza. And at the time, there was a joke around town that Liza was the only teenager in Hollywood with her own stomach pump. That's how many, times she, sa that's how many times she saved Judy's life. God. Poor Liza Minnelli, too, in all this. All three of her kids, Liza, Lorna, and Joey. Joey was youngest, but he was her favorite, so that's his own problem. But Lorna and, Ju and Liza talk about let the terror they felt not at Judy's actions which were bad I mean I don't mention in the script but Judy went through a fun arson phase where she tried to burn down the family home like three times Jesus like, yeah it's it's she was a drug addict guy <laughs> like she was a crippled drug addict with no tight like there's no one telling Judy to stop at this point because Sid Sid left his gun even Sid I think was just there for the money but he's gone now too so you just have this woman who, ha who has access to everything spiraling and crippled by drug use. In 1968, Judy was supposed to be in the film adaptation of Valley of the Dolls. But after refusing to leave her trailer, after only a week, Judy was fired. She made the rounds, staying at friends' homes, guest houses, even getting so desperate that she stayed with like the president of her fan club for weeks, like the president of her fan club kicked her out eventually. Uh, that's a blow, man. That's a, that's a blow. That's, a that's blow. rock bottom. Yeah. In 1969, she married her fifth and final husband, Mickey Dean. And they settled into a small London apartment. Uh, London was Judy's favorite place. She thought that the audiences in London were the best audiences in the world. So she had taken to living there in the last part of her life. It was in that small London apartment that Judy was found dead in 1969. Mysteries and scandals call it an overdose, but I don't think that's correct. She died from a buildup of drugs in her system. So this is my theory. While in London, Judy had gotten into heroin and her, she had lost a lot of weight. She was down to like barely 90 pounds. So I make the argument that the 35-year-old drug addict knew exactly how much drugs to take. But since her weight had dropped so severely, Sheila's just miscalculated how much drug she was taking. And I think her body just couldn't take it anymore. I hate that. 
whoever gave Judy Garland heroin, shame on you. <laughs> that was inappropriate. That was a terrible, terrible decision. But honestly, though, it's just like, damn, y'all, like, fuck. There's nobody in her life that was like, Judy, let's go to rehab. I think that they had tried that a couple times, but Judy didn't think drugs were a problem. So if you don't think you're drug addict, if you don't think you're a drug addict, you can't be cured of being a drug addict. And so it just never worked. She just exhausted people. Like she would depend on people until they couldn't help her anymore. And then she just would move on to the next person. Unfortunately, like her mom, Judy died without a single penny. Her longtime lover and friend, Frank Sinatra, paid for Judy's funeral. Held at Trinity Wall Street, Judy was a lifelong Episcopalian. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so was Frank. Not Frank Sinatra, Frank Gum, Judy's dad. Oh, okay. Manhattan shut down. There were over 10,000 people that showed up to pay their respects to Judy. Now, I have thought long and hard about what my closing statement about Judy would be. I can tell you that she was funny and she liked to have a good time. But her mother destroyed Judy the second she gave her those drugs. From that moment on, that was all Judy cared about. The drugs mattered more than husbands and more than her kids. I can tell you that Judy was insecure and jealous. In the late 60s, when Liza was paying to feed and house Judy's kids, Judy told the press that she didn't get what the big deal was about Eliza, dismissing her talent to the fucking press. So I hope that Liza takes comfort while staring at her Emmy, Oscar, Grammy, and Tonys. People called Judy tragic. Mysteries and Scandals says it like 40 times, but I don't think she was. I think she had bad parents who ruined her life. She had a remarkable talent. She was a good actress, sometimes even a great actress. Her monologues in The Star is Born and How Can I Keep From Singing wrench my heart clear out of my chest. And no song hypes me up or makes me more sad than the man that got away. But Judy didn't care about that. She cared about the drugs. And in the end, she did exactly what she wanted to do. In his best moment all episode, AJ Benza wraps up saying, What a sad end for a woman who deserves so much more out of life. I agree, AJ. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or embarrassing confessions, please send us an email at thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. That's thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at thewaybackrecappod. If you'd like to support the show or listen to bonus content, exclusive episodes, visit our Patreon page. Our original cover art is by Laura Strobish. Uh, remember, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow or subscribe to the Wayback Recap. If you enjoy yourself, please rate and review the show. But if that's too much... We totally get it. Tell a friend. Preferably a responsible friend who will rate and review the show. And join us next time. I'm Brandon. And I'm Patricia. And on behalf of the Wayback Recap, take, take care, care of each, each other, other y'all. y'all.